So if you would, we are continuing our study in 1 Corinthians 9. If you would turn in your Bibles, you'll find 1 Corinthians 9, you'll find 1 Corinthians um, in the New Testament. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you'll see Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. So we are in 1 Corinthians. If you're using one of the blue provided Bibles nearby, that's going to be on page 956. If you don't own a Bible, then please consider that a gift. You're welcome to take that home, and we pray that you would, would read it and be edified by it. Um, as I typically like to say, the big numbers, if you're not used to looking at a Bible, the big numbers there are going to be the chapters, and the small numbers are going to be the verses. So we're going to be looking at all of chapter 9. And it's going to be helpful for you to have the text in front of you, because we're just going to walk through it, Lord willing, from start to finish. So, <clears throat> let's read 1 Corinthians Chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are, you, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen? That God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we, or do not we, even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? 
so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the God who is powerful over all things. We thank you that in your power, you sent your son who laid down his rights so that we can be brought near to you. God, we pray that as we look at this, we would embrace that posture. Lord, we thank you that you are, in fact, sovereign over all things, and you know all things, that in both of those, being all-powerful and all-knowing, that you are loving. And so we recognize that when we are called to lay down rights, as Paul did here, that it is for our good. Help us to be a people who are willing and ready to gladly lay down our rights for the gospel. Lord, we think about the things that are going on in the world. And Lord, as world tensions increase, we do pray that war would not expand. We pray that the war in Ukraine would be settled and that righteousness would triumph. Lord, as it was mentioned in our prayer of confession, we pray that our comfort would not be in world powers, but would be in you. Lord, we pray for other churches that are in the area. I think specifically of Grace Lutheran Church just right down the road. For as they are seeking a pastor, we pray that they would find a man who is faithful to your word, who stands firmly rooted on it. Thank you for that church's willingness to even lead their denomination for the sake of standing firm in the word. Lord, we pray that they would find a pastor who is willing to do the same and to shepherd them well. Lord, guide us as we look at your word. Thank you for providing it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In September of 2020, uh, there was a construction worker in Massachusetts who was killed by a licorice habit. The man, who was not named, was 54 years old and ate about one and a half bags of licorice each day. He had suffered no symptoms prior to his death, and as well, he was in a fast food restaurant where he went into cardiac arrest. The man, I think we would all agree, had the right to eat licorice. As I was reading the article on this, there were no claims that Massachusetts is now putting out licorice bans because of the, the danger of it. But they were encouraging their readers to, to have some wisdom with how much licorice you intake. Consider the cost that it might take on your body if you eat one and a half bags of licorice each day. Some of you might have about that much licorice now that we're coming out of October. There's more candy in our household, which I'm grateful for. But as we look at this text, we see Paul continuing his argument of you have rights. Christian rights are there, and they're to be enjoyed, but never at the expense of the gospel. Never at the expense of the rest of the body. So as we look at this text, that, that sermon summary statement that I try to, try to put forth each week is this. Christian rights are to be enjoyed, but not at the expense of the gospel. Christian rights are to be enjoyed, but never at the expense of the gospel. And so if you're joining us this morning, we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians passage by passage, just trying to lay it bare, trying to help us understand what it is that Paul was getting at as he was writing to this church. He wrote to them earlier in what we kind of um, joyfully call the zero Corinthians letter that we don't have. But then they responded to his letter 
and Paul is now responding to that response. So in the first uh, four verses, or excuse me, the first four chapters, he addressed the issue of unbiblical divisions that were taking place in the church. Some were saying, I follow Paul. Some were saying, I follow Cephas. I follow Apollos. And Paul said, hey, look, you need to be united in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 5, we saw the, Paul addressing the issue of tolerating unrepentant sin. This church was gladly uh, not addressing some sin that was going on in there, and they felt like they were being tolerant about it. And so Paul said, no, 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 you need to address it. It's important for you to address it. And so we gave them some instruction with that. And then chapter 6, we see him addressing two issues. The first one is lawsuits within the church. They were taking each other to court. And Paul said this is a horrible, horrible witness to those who are looking on. And then in, in chapter 6 later, he, he addresses the issue of them justifying sexual sin. He says, hey, look, your, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So don't justify sexual sin. And then in chapter 7, he talked about uh, some of the confusion that was going on with marriage and singleness. And then chapters 8 through 10, which we find ourselves in, is him addressing one big issue. And it's this issue of rights and being willing to lay them down for the, the betterment of the body. So chapter 8, it was regarding food, food offered to idols. And he's essentially encouraging them to, to be ready to lay aside those rights. Now here in chapter 9, Paul continues this theme by explaining which rights he has laid down for their sake. Now, Corinth was uh, a very pagan city. It was known for sexual immorality. It was known for vast religious diversity. It was known for corruption. And there were even speakers who would come in and they would uh, pay for their services. They'd come in and then they'd go. And so when Paul goes there, he's trying to, quote, in some kind of way, compete with these speakers. He's trying to differentiate himself from these speakers. And so we'll get into that a little bit later. But the, the main theme that Paul is getting at with the book of 1 Corinthians that we consistently keep coming back to is that we would be united in the Lord Jesus Christ. United in the Lord Jesus Christ. All these different issues keep coming up and it's causing division within the church. And Paul addresses them one at a time. And each time, he's trying to bring it back and say, our union needs to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now as we look at this issue of laying down rights, you'll see in your bulletin there are three points to help break up this chapter. So in the first 14 verses, we see the Christian's rights. Next few verses, we see the Christian's posture. In the last four verses, we see the Christian's prize. The Christian's rights, the Christian's posture, and the Christian's prize. So let's look at that first one. Uh, the first 14 verses. Paul, before listing off these rights, Paul asks several rhetorical questions. He says, look, am I, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? He keeps asking these rhetorical questions. Our, I was looking at this uh, on Friday with a couple guys, and one of the guys was our resident theologian, Justin Santa, and he made the comment, he said, is this the most sarcastic chapter in all of the Bible? It almost feels that way. Paul's asking all these rhetorical questions. He's, he's laying on sarcasm pretty thick here. He says, look, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? He says, you, in verse 2, you are the seal of my apostleship. So seals in that day were used to guarantee authenticity. And so kings and other notable leaders would have a signet ring. And whenever they'd write a letter, put some 
wax or whatever it is to seal it, and they'd press their signet ring on it to seal it. And it was a very intricate design, one that could not be easily forged. And so it would authenticate that this letter actually did come from the king. I see the design right there. And Paul says, hey, look, Corinthians, you are my seal. I came and I preached the gospel, and your lives have been radically changed. If, if, you, if others don't believe I'm an apostle, at least I am to you. You've seen the work among you, the results of the gospel being proclaimed. So Paul is, is making the point. He's certainly free. He's, he's an apostle, for goodness sakes. But then he offers this. He offers his defense. So look at me in verse 3. He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. And so he lists off three rights. Now this, this word right, um, the original word is exousia, and it means authority or right or, uh, or power. So we have the authority to enjoy these things. We have the power to enjoy these things. We have the right to enjoy these things. And so verse 4, he talks about the right to eat and drink, which, if you remember, correlates with chapter 8 when he talks about food offered to idols. And then he says in verse 5, the right to get married, to take along a believing wife. Not just to get married, but take along a believing wife, which, if you remember, correlates with chapter 7. So Paul, in real couple verses here, real quickly, is summarizing chapter 7 and, er, and chapter 8. And now he lays out a third right. In verse 6, where it's only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living. He's saying, we have the right to earn a living, to have financial support for gospel ministry. And now Paul, if you look at verse 7, <clears throat> he illustrates this third right in three ways. He talks about serving as a soldier, talks about planting a vineyard, talks about tending a flock. Now, if some, some here have actually served in the military. And so you recognize that when you joined the military, they did not say, all right, now you have to purchase your uniform, you have to purchase your weaponry, you have to pay for all of your lodging. They, they cover that, and they provide your meals, and they even pay you a wage. So Paul says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense or plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Paul's making the point, hey, it is, is good for us who are among you as we try to sow spiritual things among you to reap material things. And I recognize, it's not lost on me, the um, irony and the awkwardness of me being the only guy on staff here at this church and preaching this passage. So I just want to thank you for allowing me to be on staff here. There's literally nothing else in the world I would rather do. It's a joy to be a vocational pastor here. I want to thank you for that. But Paul continues his defense. Look at me in verse 8. So he used these three illustrations. He listed three rights, then he used three illustrations, which if you ever wonder why the majority of uh, my sermons have three points, you can just bring it right back to Paul. It just seems to be the consistent thing. That there's a law of threes here. So Paul lists three rights, then he offers three illustrations, and so now he begins to offer some more support. He says the law of Moses even, support, even supported this right to earn a living. So look at verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, this is a civil law. I've said before, God's law in, in the Old Testament is divided three ways. We see his moral law, the Ten Commandments. We see the civil law for the nation state of Israel during that time. Then we see the ceremonial law, how sins were to be atoned for. Now, because Christ is our final sacrifice, the ceremonial law has been passed away. And because those who are in Christ are considered the true Israel, 
we should say that the ceremonial or the civil law has also passed away. However, this is an important thing to note, that as you're reading through the law in the Old Testament, when you head into a new year here soon, you start to pick up another Bible reading plan, you get to that part of the law where it's difficult, recognize that every civil law finds itself rooted in God's moral law, who he is. And so when Paul mentions, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, he says, look, this is rooted in the eighth commandment. Don't steal. That ox is working. Give him some food. Let him eat. Don't steal from him who's working. Don't steal from the one who worked for the wage, oxen or otherwise. And then verse 10. Paul makes the point that it's not just, it's not for oxen that God's concerned about. It's for those who labor, a plowman, a thresher. In verse 11, he talks about those who sow spiritual things. Recognize that Paul and Barnabas did not use this right. He says the right's there, but we're not, we're not picking it up. He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. But then Paul continues his argument. He says, not only does the law of Moses support this right, but then also the temple service seems to support this right. He says, those who serve in the temple ministry who are employed in the temple service, get their food from the temple, verse 13. And then verse 14, he says that the Lord Jesus commanded this right. Matthew 10 is what he's referring to there. We read in verse 9, Jesus is sending out the 12 apostles. And he says this to them, which seems strange, but he says, acquire no gold or silver or, silver or copper for your belts. So take no money. No bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. So he's telling the apostles, he's sending them out, like, hey, don't take any money. Trust that you're going to be provided for. And as you proclaim the gospel, it, you deserve it. You deserve the food, so you're going to be well taken care of. Don't worry about it. Trust me. This is what Paul's getting at when he says the Lord commanded it. But here, here's the, the thing that we need to get out of these first 14 verses, that even though Paul had these rights, as he summarizes chapter 7, we have the right to take along a bleeding wife. And then he summarizes chapter 8, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Now he's listing this third right of earning a living through gospel ministry. And he says, I haven't even taken up that right. Paul had these rights, but he did not make use of them because, you can see it in verse 12, because he did not want to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He recognized that in that time there would be speakers who came and would charge for their ability to speak. And Paul didn't want to be like them. He said, look, I'm not going to take any money. I want you to know that I'm giving this to you freely. So I have opportunity to boast. So Christian, as we look at these rights that Paul has laid out, know that you are free to eat. You're free to drink. You're free to pursue marriage. You're free to earn a living through gospel ministry. Whether that's pastoral ministry for qualified men, or that's missions, just seeking support. And the church is good to support a vocational pastor. Again, I recognize the awkwardness of me saying that to you. But should something happen to me, it's good to have somebody who you can raise up and allow them to spend the best hours of their day trying to serve and shepherd you. And Lord willing, we'll have more people on staff down the road that's not just me. The desire is to raise up pastors. Not all of them have to be vocational. But it's good to be able to let them spend the best hours of their day toward shepherding and caring for you. It's good to support vocational missionaries. This isn't just isolated to pastors. 
there's a missionary. We want to raise up missionaries. We want to send them out joyfully to do a gospel work in a place that needs it. And it's good, church, to be ready to lay down your rights for the sake of the gospel going forward. If any of these rights become a noticeable obstacle to gospel ministry in the context that you find yourself, then it is good to lay down those rights for the sake of the gospel going forward. Those rights are to be enjoyed, but never at the expense of the gospel. And so now we see in the second point here, the Christian's posture. Paul says that he has foregone these rights. Verse 15, but I've made no use of any of these rights. Who am I writing these things to secure any provision? So he's saying, look, hey, look, I'm not just bringing these up to be passive aggressive and hope that you will send me some funds similar to the Philippian church. Like, I'm, not, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just letting you know that I have laid down these rights for your sake. As I said, Corinth was known for gifted speakers. And they would charge to come and speak and entertain. And Paul did not want to be lumped in with them. He did not want anybody to say, oh, he's just another speaker bringing a new message, trying to, to earn a wage. He did not want that. He even said it in 1 Corinthians. We look um, in chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 2. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, to not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul intentionally spoke differently so that the gospel would go forward. He didn't lump himself in with them. Paul intentionally did not accept any funds for the message that he was bringing so that he would separate himself from that other group of speakers. So people couldn't say, hey, he's just doing it for, for that reason. He's just doing it for money. He's just doing it to make a living. Paul says this, this gives him ground for boasting. There's zero chance. First Peter 5 talks about uh, how the elders among you should, should shepherd with out any, uh, not doing it for shameful gain. There's zero chance that anyone could tell Paul that he was doing it for shameful gain. He says, look, I'm not trying to build a platform here. I'm not speaking very, very, uh, with eloquent speech. It's like, I'm not taking any funds. Like, I have a ground for boasting because there's zero chance that I'm doing this for shameful gain. You can't lay that charge against me. He says he's preaching out of necessity. Not because he wants to be paid, but out of necessity. So if you are in the room today and you do aspire to pastoral ministry, or you aspire toward missions work, what's your motivation? Is it inward necessity like Paul here? Or is it just to collect a paycheck? If you are considering men here, if you're considering pastoral ministry, or men and women, if you're considering mission work, would encourage you, ask that question. Am I doing it because it's out of necessity? Because there's an inward necessity that's put upon me that I need to do this. I can't imagine myself doing anything else. Or is it because you want to collect a paycheck? Look at me in verse 17. He says, For if I do this on my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with the stewardship. So he says, hey, look, if it is out of inward necessity, you have a reward. You're being faithful. But if it's not on your own will, if you are just trying to collect a paycheck, hopefully that's not the case, but even if you are in that category, he says you still have a stewardship. He says you still have to be faithful. Paul recognizes that. 
It says he presented the gospel free of charge. That was his reward. One commentary pointed this out. said, Paul preached the gospel in urban centers where itinerant orators were a common sight, while some of them openly used their rhetorical skills to seek fame and fortune. Paul's reward is knowing that he's not pursuing any of those things. He's being faithful. It's out of necessity, an inward drive that the Lord has given him for the sake of furthering the gospel. He says, for that reason, verse 19, he's become, a, he's become a servant to all. So Paul is free, yet he uses his freedom to freely become a servant to all, to everyone, not just to those higher than him, but also to those who would be seen as inferior to him. He says in verse 20 that to the Jews I became as a Jew. Paul was previously a Jew. He was previously a Pharisee. So he followed, when he's around other Jews, he followed aspects of the Mosaic law for the sake of winning an audience with them. Some of the kosher rules, as we see in Acts 21. In Acts 16, he encouraged Timothy to be circumcised. Recognized that that didn't bring salvation, but he knew that he was going to minister among Jews, and this would be helpful since Timothy's father was a Gentile. Then he says, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. Now, he also gives a helpful clarification here. He says, though not being myself under the law. So he, as I said earlier, he did adhere to some of the Mosaic law, but he did not look to that law for salvation. So he says, for, for those who are under the law, I, I became as one under the law, but I myself not under the law. That's not where I'm finding my salvation. Galatians 3, verse 24 Read, so then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So if you are in Christ, you are no longer under the law. The law was a guardian. It was there for you. But now that Christ has come, if you are in Christ, you are now seen as a one who has perfectly adhered to the law because Christ himself perfectly followed the law. So he says, I'm not under it. I'm under the law of Christ. Then verse 21, he says, but to those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. So that begs the question, does that mean I get to, I get to go sin? I'm free to go sin? Paul said, I'm outside of the law. So can I now be out, outside of, of God's law? But what about not looking like the world? Well, Paul offers a helpful clarification here as well. He says, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So he's making the point. He says, look, assimilate where you can. Adapt where you can for the sake of gaining an audience to proclaim the gospel ministry. That's good. However, you are not called to be a drunk to drunkards. You're not called to be sexually immoral to the sexually immoral. You're not called to be a thief to thieves. So adapt where you can, assimilate where you can, but recognize that you are still under God's moral law. The civil law may have passed away, the ceremonial law may have passed away, but God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, reflect who his, he is, who his nature is, and he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So his moral law has not passed. And so although we are free to assimilate where we need to for the sake of the gospel going forward, we are not free to use assimilation as an excuse to then sin. We continue to pursue holiness because we are in Christ, the Holy One. And then he says, to the weak, I became weak. 
which he just alluded to, or he just explained in chapter 8 with food. And if you look at Romans 14, and you can also see um, drink being included there as well. So the Christian's posture, Paul being informed by the Holy Spirit, being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things down, God is letting us know that the Christian posture should be one of glad servanthood. And this is the posture that's rooted in Christ himself who had much but laid much aside to become our servant. And so we become glad servants to all for the sake of the gospel going forward. As a Christian, you are free. But are you freely willing to become a servant to all? Are you evangelizing the lost around you? Neighbors, co-workers, lost family members. We're getting ready, many of us, to be at a family reunion for Thanksgiving. Don't overlook the fact that the Lord may have placed you at that table next to that lost family member for a reason. Be ready to step out and find a way to talk about the gospel with that family member. Maybe it's adopting the hobby or an interest of a coworker, a lost coworker or a lost neighbor. Maybe they have a particular interest in a sports team that you have zero interest in but you recognize they seem to be pretty passionate about it. Maybe there's an opportunity to learn a little bit about that team so that you, can may ha- you may have conversations with them to be able to bridge those conversations over to a gospel conversation. Maybe it's a hobby like fishing, or maybe it's a certain kind of food that they seem to really enjoy. Or maybe it's just learning about their culture if they're not from here. Opportunities to assimilate, to take interest for the sake of the gospel going forward. Find ways to do that. Maybe if you're not a Christian and you're here today, first off, thank you for being here. You're always welcome. But maybe you've noticed your Christian friends doing this in your life and you've been wondering why. Well, there's the answer. They're trying to have an opportunity to share the gospel with you. Maybe you could just say, hey, you know what? Let's just cut to the chase. What do you want to talk about? You can have an opportunity to just hear them share what it is that they really want to share out of love for you. They're doing it out of a love for you. So we've seen the Christians' rights. We do have rights to be enjoyed, but never at the expense of the gospel. We've seen the Christians' posture. We're willing to lay those down and be glad servants to all, to assimilate where we can assimilate, to adapt where we can adapt without sinning. And now we see the Christians' prize. Look at me in verse 24. Paul takes a strange shift to athletics. So he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Paul is pointing out that these athletes, they exercise physical discernment. They say, hey, we're going to say yes to what's beneficial. We're going to say no to what's not beneficial for the sake of winning a prize. Now that prize in that day was a wreath made of leaves or pine needles or even celery. So this, this trophy, this prize, was especially perishable. If you're hungry, you could have that thing perish in just an afternoon. But they would take months to train for this thing. They would say yes to what's beneficial and no to what's not beneficial. He says in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And then he shifts in verse 26. He says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one being the air. But I discipline my body 
and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should become disqualified. So he says, just as the athlete is willing to exercise self-control for the sake of obtaining a perishable wreath, how much more so for those who are pursuing an imperishable prize, eternal life with God, how much more so should we be willing and ready to say yes to what's beneficial and no to what is not? Paul says something similar in Philippians 3. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He presses on. He does what he can to obtain the prize. He says yes to what's beneficial and says no to that which is not going to be fit, uh, spiritually beneficial for him. He says yes to the things that further the gospel. says no to the things that do not further the gospel. And he says, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So what is this disqualified? What does this verbiage mean? Well, John Calvin helps us. He says, he says, my life, referring to this disqualification, he says, my life ought to be a kind of rule to others. Accordingly, I strive to conduct myself in such a manner that my character and conduct may not be inconsistent with my doctrine. Paul is pointing out, Calvin's helping us understand, that if you are proclaiming the gospel, don't let your proclamation be nullified by the way you live your life. If your life goes contrary to your proclamation, then people are going to view you as just disqualified. I don't care to hear what that person has to say. I know how they live. If you're not a Christian today, you've probably run across this. Those who claim to be Christians and yet are caught living double lives. Those who claim to be Christians but look no different than the world in the way they behave, in the way they talk. Pastors who are only in it for the money, and you see them on television asking to give, call this number, and you'll give. We really need to get a new jet or a new Rolls Royce. Don't send your money there. But you see that. And if you're wise, you recognize that this is, this is a sham. So it's probably hard for you to take that Christian or a person who claims to be a Christian or that pastor, it's probably hard for you to take them seriously when they tell you about the good news of Christ. As a church, we need to recognize that our willingness to address sin or our resistance to address sin has a direct impact on our evangelism. If we are unwilling to address sin, then when we tell others about the, the powerful nature of the gospel, that we can be brought to life and have joy in Christ, we tell others about that, it's going to fall on deaf ears if our life does not match our doctrine, if we're unwilling to address sin. Paul says he does not want to be disqualified after preaching. So he exercises self-control. He says yes to what's beneficial for gospel advancement and no to what's not beneficial for gospel advancement. There's a prize, he says, for those who remain faithful in gospel proclamation. And faithfulness includes exercising self-control. That's the phrase that we see when he's talking about the athlete and he's talking about himself, control. So Christian, are you running to win the race? Or are you walking aimlessly? Are you exercising self-control? If you're, if you're struggling in that area, then I encourage you, walk alongside another brother or another sister. Someone who is not walking aimlessly. Someone who can take you by the shoulder and say, hey, this is the way we're going to walk. And I'm going to encourage you in this. I'm going to build you up. I'll ask you hard questions. I'll pray with you. Consider walking with another brother or sister. This is just Christian discipleship. 
There's the classic example of the, the out of shape uh, physical trainer. Go to the gym, they say, hey, I'll tell you how to get in shape when that individual is, is not in shape. We don't want to be that as Christians. So exercise self-control. Exercise self-control in the things that you eat and drink. Don't want to say that Christ is all satisfying and then engage in gluttony or engage in drunkenness. Exercise self-control when it comes to your time on social media. The endless scrolling. Exercise self-control in the things that you post on social media. If you do an inventory of the people who have changed your mind over the years, typically it's not those who post a long rant on social media. So chances are the thing that you're posting is probably going to lose you an audience rather than gain you one. Consider exercising self-control even on what you post on social media. Exercise self-control in your conversations. Your temptation to gossip. To talk about individuals that frustrate you when they're not there. Exercise self-control in your conversations at work. Are you the person at work that has the same language as the rest of the world? Claiming to be a Christian, but you sound no different. Are you the person at work who has the, the inappropriate jokes? Are you the person at work who has just a sour attitude all the time? People say, he says that he's a Christian. He says that he is finding his satisfaction and his joy in Christ. Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forevermore. Does your life match that? It's not to say to be bubbly and joyful all the time and not even recognize some of the difficult things that happen in life, but is the overall, is your life overall marked by joy? Maybe it's in what you watch, whether that's the quantity of, of television, just binge watching things on and on, not using our time wisely. Maybe it's the quality, and I recognize it's becoming more and more difficult to watch a movie or a show that does not have nudity, but brothers and sisters, I would encourage you, 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. Don't give yourself any opportunity. Exercise self-control in the things that we watch. Romans 13.14, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Well, Rob, it's not like I'm going to cheat on my spouse if I watch this. Jesus addresses this, Sermon on the Mount. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, I watch it with my spouse. Look, the principle remains. Exercise self-control. Flee sexual immorality. Make no provision for the flesh. In his book, The Purity Principle, Randy Alcorn makes a comment like this. He says, if you can't control it, cut it out of your life. If you're watching too much TV, don't own a TV. Well, that's extreme, you say. No, 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 no. Gouging out your eye is extreme. Not owning a TV is not extreme. Brothers, this, we, need, we need to exercise self-control so that we may obtain the prize. So that when we proclaim the gospel, as we lay down rights for the sake of gospel advancement, when we then proclaim that gospel, we aren't disqualified by our lives. Let's exercise self-control. Christian rights are to be enjoyed, but never at the expense of the gospel. Enjoy them, but enjoy the gospel going forward more. And look, I just want to lay before you, as we talk about acquiring the prize, every single person in here has fallen short of acquiring that prize. This isn't a sermon so that after hearing those things, you can feel self-righteous because you don't own a TV or whatever the thing is. We've all fallen short. None of us have been able to acquire that prize. Christ has, and Christ alone, on your 
behalf if you repent of your sin and call on the name of Jesus. If you trust him to take away all of your sin and to give you the righteousness and the holiness needed to be right with a holy and righteous God. The gospel is free. Receive it in faith. Say with the song that we're getting ready to sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. In Christ, we have the right to draw near to God. In Christ, we have the posture of the righteous one who freely laid aside all of his rights for the sake of the betterment of his people. And in Christ, we have the prize of eternal delight in God. Let's pray. Father, you are kind to give us your word. We, we do pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to have discernment as to when we should pick up our rights and when we should lay them down. All for the sake of the gospel going forward. Help us to have our greatest delight in you and in the good news of the gospel going forward and edifying your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.